0: time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast
1: vault of startling monster horror tales of terror <laughs>
2: hello my reanimated patchwork of corpse loving pals we have a surprise guest at the old vault today for our feature the curse of Frankenstein I busted out the electrofrabulator and drawn a nice acid bath and broken out Grandma Chris Keeper's legendary orange marmalade. This is the beginning of our coverage of this frightful film house. So I'm going to have to be a cliche and say, stop, hammer time.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And I am your co-host this evening as we begin to delve into a new era, a new realm, if you will, here on the Vault. We start with the prototypical revolt against nature and all of God's laws on this episode. And joining me, as usual, is Chris Honeywell. I am neither wicked nor insane. (laughs) Joining us again is Chris Tyler, a.k.a. The Hair Metal Hero.
1: We hold such secrets in the palms of our hands.
0: Ew. And also and also joining us, one half of Dem Giaconetti boys, Jason Giaconetti. I've harmed no one,
3: just robbed a few graves.
0: <laughs> and also joining us tonight, our special guest, Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey,
4: how's it going? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't remember what, doctor, what does Dr.
2: Frankenstein say that? <laughs> It doesn't matter, man. He's always got a line. It's just, it's, it's always
0: got yeah. it. It's always got it. For for the record, my line was, what's the You haven't shown
3: any scruples before." Ew. I, I have my alternate line, which was, "Pass the marmalade, Elizabeth." <laughs> pass the marmalade.
0: That that in you know in in uh, in, in Victorian era England, that's like shocking level. Would you I,
1: please pass the jelly? I got arrested <laughs>
0: once for showing my scruples. Oh yes, yeah, so. if In case you have not been able to guess from that, and really, who wouldn't be able to? Uh, Tonight, we are going to be taking a look at the first in our series of Hammer horror films. This is something we've talked about for quite a long time behind the scenes here in the vault, and we're taking a look at the one that started it all, really, for Hammer horror, Curse of Frankenstein. This is the first pairing of... Uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in a horror film and uh, as is befitting of a classic Hammer film it is written by Jimmy Sangster and directed by Terrence Fisher. So what do we think guys?
3: We want I'll go real quick because Luke just mentioned this that it was Lee and uh, Cushing's first pairing in a horror movie. They actually both appeared in 1948's Hamlet and 1952 Moulin Rouge, but they All never right. were on the, they were never on the set at the same time. So this was actually the first time they ever were on the set together. And they actually became friends because they started passing the time by exchanging exchanging Looney Tune phrases back and forth okay. with each other. Uh, the awesome. movie was come out. The movie came out May second, nineteen fifty seven. Uh, budget is reportedly uh, two hundred seventy thousand dollars, with an eight million dollar box office uh, you at, know. at the time, and actually for quite That's a while, a the single most successful
0: independent film ever made.
3: Yes, it is also Hammer's first color horror film. Um, and it, as Luke said, it was the precursor to uh, all the other films that came. This is what started it all.
2: Yeah, and they were not um, – it's funny. when I, I was just telling Scott Gardner before we, we started the group call.
3: When I was a little kid,
2: I went to this secondhand bookstore that this uh, guy had. It was basically the back section of his house. And I got these two – one book is uh, The House of Horror, and the other one was I think uh, – of horror and, it was some, and something of Dracula, and the one Dracula, something of Dracula, that's a good one. And uh, that's something, <laughs> stop picking on me, hero. Um, hey, can't help it. but I've had this, uh, I, and I got both of them because they had lots of TNA pictures in them, that's mostly what they were. They and they, but reading them, they had about as much content, you know, as like a famous monsters magazine or something like that. But I did. I, I actually like. Yeah, I put it. It was. It was. Took me like two or three trips to the the bathroom library to finish it. And.
1: You uh, red flag those books.
2: Yeah, but I, I got myself a nice. <laughs> they're they're in a decontamination bag right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I got a nice. Well- little concise history of it and it seems like they did not anticipate this movie make it they they thought they were hoping that it would do okay but they did not know that they were gonna it, it sort of sounds like uh nightmare on elm street you know
0: yeah well right that they didn't know was yeah well the, the thing about it is they you know and it, it was, sort
2: of built a whole industry after it
0: yeah yeah it did well you know what's funny? It's because you know we're we're in the we're in the late '50s here. You know the the Universal horrors are still, um, you know they they they've not yet started to filter onto TV. They're they're still popular because they're kept alive in people's memory and imagination. But the 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 Hammer, I'm excuse me, the the Universal monsters were were basically gone. I mean, the Creature from the Black Lagoon had been kicking around a little bit later, but you know the classic ones, you know like uh, the original Frankenstein, Dracula the wolf man, the mummy and those were, you know, they, they were, they weren't as much in the public consciousness. So, you know, the guys at hammer said, well, you know, we can, you know, well, we can license those and, you know, do it. And like you said, they can, they could, they thought they could get a a modest return on investment, but obviously there was still a appetite for these classical monsters and now being done in color. I mean, you got to understand, I mean, some of this stuff was uh, again, you look at it now and it's quaint, but at the time was shocking to see this kind of stuff in color, you know, uh, the acid bath, and uh, you know, uh, Christopher Lee's face, and the the, the severed hands, gunshot to it's the like, eye. <laughs> yeah, it's like you in in color. That was, I mean, to audiences, especially a British audience, that was unheard it was of. Um, you know? almost like a gore movie. At at the, I mean, I I remember I, I remember if it was in Famous Monsters or one of them, but they said that for nineteen for for nineteen fifty seven, this was the knee plus ultra of gore film. You know. So it, it it was it was uh, it had that kind of modernist take by having it you know the 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 pull no punches air quotes up to the mic with the the vo- violence and the gore, um, but uh, you know so it it that that alone made it kind of uh no like notorious so to speak. But the fact that you also have a lot of classically trained actors putting in hell of great performances, yeah. to, it 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 the whole thing, it doesn't uh, some of the later Universal films just kind of. They are they're, they're awesome, but they're ridiculous at the same time. You know, I'm a big fan of House of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein is is essentially one step away from Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not good, but it's not a it, we're we're so far removed from Mary Shelley it's at that point. It's not a serious that, horror know, movie as much. Right. Yeah. This is a serious horror film and it's a very straight laced stayed, again, what would become the prototypical hammer style of, you know, law you know, uh, Uh, Let's present the story in a very straightforward manner, and we're going to have everyone speak the Queen's English, and they're all going to look great, and the colors are going to be great, and we're going to shoot it, and we're going to, and we're going to go.
3: The other thing too is they uh, had to make sure that their Frankenstein did not look like Boris Koloff's Frankenstein. That was a big sticking point uh, because while they were able to license the idea of Frankenstein the story, um, they did not at the time have, they couldn't, you know, mirror the. The, the makeup that Jack Pierce had done and stuff like that. All that stuff was not, they didn't have the rights to do any of that stuff. So they had to make sure their Frankenstein looked different. And two, I, they wanted to keep it closer to the story. Obviously uh, Pierce's work uh, on Karloff and then later, um, you know, when uh, Glenn Strange wore it and when Lon Chaney Jr. wore it, um, that was very iconic. That big forehead, the, the bolts in the neck, the whole thing. This is very, very different uh, and, and even, even the idea of keeping the skin tone more white instead of going greenish with it, you know, uh, again, in color, the green, the, you know, green, uh, and black and white kind of reads a certain way, but a green skin tone here might read incorrect, you know, cause it's supposed to be a corpse. It might be l- like so, ludicrous. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they
3: wanted to make sure that like, and, and, and that was one of the things they were tasked with. They they weren't making, they weren't just going to remake Frankenstein. Uh, you know, they're going they they wanted to make their own movie and make money, but they knew what they were doing by way of who who this was marketed at. Um, remember this was uh it got a, it was it called Cert X? I think is what it was called over there. Right, um, right. Which is right because uh, Dracula had the same thing, but they knew who this was aimed at. Um, this was not. This was not aimed at uh, the older generation. This was aimed at the the youth um, and that younger population. It's it's funny because a lot of the same things we're saying here, we talked about when we talked about um, uh, uh, whoa, Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Nightmare on Elm Street. They knew they had a market built in in that younger set. It wasn't you're aiming this thing at people in their 40s. You're aiming this thing at like. You know, t- teenagers and young adults, and that's who was teenagers going to love
1: Peter Cushing.
3: Well, no, no, but like, but the <laughs> gore and the blood. But the thing is, teenagers love monsters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Curse of Frankenstein. When you watch the other, this is and Luke's touched on this. This is ex- exactly what it is. When you watch the Universal Frankenstein movies, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, whatever, Like, eventually, it just gets to be how can we get the monster there? Okay, how can the monster do this, this, and this? When you watch uh, any of the Frankenstein movies from Hammer, the villain is not the creature. The villain is the Baron, yeah. and it's here too. We see that we see that uh, Cushing is really the villain here. It's not Lee. Lee's the monster, sure, and Lee may have no lines and everything else, but he's not the 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 villain here. He's the you feel sorry for him because yeah. he he don't want to do this. He's well,
4: you know, yeah, absolutely that. Yeah. All
3: those things that you're saying; those are all
4: the things that lend into my love of this movie. I absolutely, I adore this movie. It's one of my favorite horror movies, and it's uh, definitely my favorite version of Frankenstein. Well, your
2: horror list is a short list, right?
4: It is (laughs) is very short. It is very short. But um, you know, I've always had a, a fondness for Frankenstein's monster. But what's funny is. I've never really cared for that classic universal version of him. Uh, I much prefer this version of him. So I like that they were purposely steering away from that version. So you didn't have the big forehead and the scar and the bolts in the neck and all that. This version here is what he's supposed to be according to this context. He is a corpse. He's a a reanimated corpse. And what's great was I I did, uh, you know, a lot of looking around on the web to see reviews and stuff. I wanted to see, like, what, what modern audiences were saying about this movie. So I was looking at, like, Amazon DVD reviews and things like that. And one of the ones that really warmed my heart was one that said that, you know, it doesn't matter that this movie is 50 plus years old. That reveal, that first reveal of the, the animated creature when oh, yeah. Cushing hears the noise and walks back into the lab to find the creature alive. You know, that is still a very powerful, impactful scene. It doesn't come off as cheesy or corny. There are parts of the movie that, that do, and I don't know if it's age or whatever, but there are some parts that come off a little cheesy, a little corny, but that one is still a punch in the gut. And... One of the things that really helps me love this movie is that fact that it's not the creature. It's the doctor. The doctor's yep. the evil one. And you see his his uh, very fast decline from, you know the beginning of the movie where he's just kind of an arrogant, spoiled, rich kid into being just he's evil. And he doesn't even realize he's on that slide. Right. It just kind of happens to. Yeah, him. he
2: says I'm neither, or, or I think it was uh, his friend Paul said like he's neither wicked nor insane, and it's like no, he's he's kind of a he's little wicked. bit
4: of both. Yeah, yeah,
0: a little bit of both. He's
2: but well, but
0: the, it's, you know, but it's also getting into the setting. It's the victor, the Victorian setting here is that because he's he's not wicked because he's not setting out to hurt someone, you know. His intentions are, you know, as far again, especially as far as Victor is concerned, his intentions are science and science cannot be good nor evil. Well, science simply is. That's murderers. Yeah, evil. but the, here's the thing. Here's right. the thing. No, but, but it's,
2: a lot of but, people, you know, a profe- lot of people his, happen to that die his, that are very convenient for him. It's very convenient right. for him that a lot of people
0: I'm, that end up dead die. Not-
4: but even he's, that he's very to me,
0: Lucid. You got to remember that, what that term means also back in that era. You know, he's not a, you know, they, they, he, um, um, Paul specifically calls the creature uh, a violent madman, you know, or a, a, a criminal lunatic. So that, you know, it, it's the idea of what, you know, what crazy meant in the 18, you know, in the 1800s. You know, it's like, he might not, he looks perfectly sane. He's well-spoken. Yes. He's well-groomed. Yes. He's, he can't be crazy. So he robbed a few graves, you know, So he's, you know, put Rube Goldberg, the professor, off the uh, off the steps. (laughs) To me, as as a a quick aside about that, he he pushes the professor through. I'm guessing the, the the rigged railing on the steps. Okay. The, he wants to get the professor's brain. He takes a header right yeah. on his noggin. <laughs> so whether Paul smashes it or not, that brain's probably a little past its expiration. A that's a great stunt too. That oh,
1: yeah. There's no oh, fake in wow, that. That's, that. That's the dude. Just all right. That's I'm gonna eat it for it. you.
0: <laughs> it's the same. The same like we get at the end with uh, with the creature on fire, which it's 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 clearly not. Uh, Lee, and I'm okay oh, yeah. with that. Uh, but then he's on fire, which is always a, we always love when guys are set on fire here on the vault. And then through the skylight and into the acid bath. That's again, that's just a stunt because he starts writhing around. That's a dude, yeah, you know, so that's a good, that's a that's a great little stunt sequence there. And that's again, we're going to talk about something that was shocking to audiences, yeah. you know. That whole scene was like, you know, it's like you can't get away with that back then, you know.
3: I guarantee you Christopher Lee was okay with that not being him too. Yeah. Yes. Well. Yeah. <laughs> huh, you don't have to set me on fire? Bloody good. Don't have to set me on fire. Hmm.
0: But, uh, Scott, I, I, you know, you and I were of the same opinion about this film, and one of the reasons that I was always drawn to it was, again, like you said, it's about the mad scientist. It's truly mad science, and it's not uh like Colin Clive's Dr Frankenstein where we're supposed to feel sorry for him we don't feel sorry for Cushing because Cushing is a cold heartless son of a bitch
4: no and, but uh, conversely though what makes this such an effective horror movie to me is that it basically comes down to animal cruelty you know Despite the fact that that people are murdered both by the creature and by the doctor, it's really the fact that this comes down to him being, cru- the doctor, being cruel to the creature. That mm-hmm. scene where where he's reanimated it again after Paul had shot it in the eye. And Paul just, you can see the look on Paul's face. And I think he even says something about the poor creature or the dumb creature or something but it's just, you know, it's it's on that leash. It might as well be a dog that's being abused. And that's where it might sound strange to say this about something that's so hideous looking, but it, it, it pulls at my heart. You know, it's just, well, you feel sorry for it. Well, it's like, some- oh my God, why are you doing, and he, the, the doctor, this is where you realize how evil he is because he doesn't even see he thinks, what am I hurting? This was just all pieces of dead men, so who is it hurting? But he doesn't realize that this thing, by being alive again, still feels. It is still a living creature, and he's being cruel to it. Well, The yep. same way he would be cruel to if he was abusing a, a, an animal. And that's, to me, that's the, the real heart of the horror in this. And, uh, Not, and it's very effective.
2: I wondered on so- some level if you know when when he reanimated the creature whether you know i know that the doctor's brain was damaged so you know whether there was some residual memory for you of the doctor maybe knowing you know having some semblance of who he was and that that um the doctor that frankenstein killed him but also having his brain just bashed up in a a bunch of different ways you know some of it could be blind not blind anger but coming from the professor you know
4: i i've always thought that there is a glimmer of recognition between the creature Uh and the doctor because while he may attack the girl you know he attacks the grandfather and everything I think that is almost just some sort of weird, dumb, like maybe he wants to play with them kind of thing. But when it comes to the doctor, to me, there is real rage there. There mm-hmm. is real recognition. And I, I, I love that it's kind of open to interpretation. I've always interpreted it as recognition. You did this to me. Whether he re- realizes you killed me, when he, when that brain belonged to the professor, I don't know about I, that. I right? like that they leave it. They you, yeah. you, you created me. You did
1: has, this to me. I think that's there. Has yeah. any oh, version of this gone so far as to have the original owner's memories come back into play? I'm just
2: trying that's to think. That I, I don't think. I,
0: Maybe because a, I mean, that's, maybe a little the bit. The only in Andy
2: Warhols they, in Flesh for Frankenstein or pop yeah. yeah. And there, yeah. there
0: is there's a later film in the series, which is Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, which is a very interesting film in that it actually does not have a creature. It is actually about um, transplanting a brain from a living person into another mm-hmm. bot, and that deals with that with the idea of having your memories in a different body. That that's so in. In, in in that sense, yes, that is addressed down there. But as far as it being in a creature like that, I'm trying to think, I and mean, then, yeah, I'm, I'm never real. I don't none jump out at me as one like that, other than. Uh, see, it's been a long time since I seen Flesh for Frankenstein, Chris. So I, I well,
4: could the only thing, long, and I know you're talking about films, but I'm almost positive that when we talked about oh. the Marvel Comics series. Uh, Frankenstein's monster on back to the bins that one of the things that came up into the discussion was that in that telling of the story the brain was never defined as being damaged that it was actually a you know a perfectly fine brain and I remember one of us it might have been me I can't remember but one of us posing the question well then why doesn't this personality of whoever that brain belonged to, why isn't that dominant? Why doesn't that come to the forefront and it was never really explained? It's it's like they forgot that piece of the story, but that damaged brain thing seems to come up in just about every retelling of it. I'd like to see one like what Hero proposes where the brain isn't damaged and, and the well, person that it was... You know, is alive again. How would they react to? Oh my God! What did you do to me? You know, I'm a patchwork freak. You know, I, I, that would be
0: interesting. <laughs> I I'd like see. The other, the other, the one. I, <laughs> the other one that I that I just thought of while, while, um, while Scott, you were talking because I remember us talking about that with the brains because I remember the one we did. Uh, for Frankenstein Monsters Week, for Horror Month, involved them swapping the brains out, and like a mouse brain. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, but there there is one one of the in the Universal series in *Ghost of Frankenstein*, um, which the mon the monster is played by Lon Chaney Jr. There's a character Fritz who is a hunchback by Bela Lugosi, and Fritz's plan is to get his brain put into the monster's body, and that's yep. what happens. So the monster in at the very end of *Ghost of Frankenstein* and then in *Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman* is actually Fritz, and Doesn't this something is something like that happen in the sequel to this movie. Um, yes, in one of the sequels, I think so, because the sequel to this is *Revenge of Frankenstein*, right? And again, the only cast member that returns is Cushing. and then again, they, the the creature is a little bit different in that.
3: That's what you That's when you have. When he's, he's, he's that's, when you have that's when you have. Yeah, it's when you have. Oh, uh, crap! Is it this? I'm trying to remember which one it was. Where the 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 uh, the barmaid or whatever she is, her her fiance is like murdered or whatever, and they transfer the brain. That's Frankenstein created woman. Does, yeah.
4: is in the sequel to this one. Doesn't Frankenstein? He has like a, a friend or an assistant or something who's deformed. Yes. And and he's going to take his brain out and put it into the creature or something. I know I started watching that once. I can't remember if I finished the movie or not only because I don't remember I how think, it. I ends.
0: think yeah, he's <laughs> Creature Revenge of Frankenstein, he's going to take his 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 assistant who's got the mangled body and put him into a good-looking body. I don't think it ever actually happens. Oh, uh, Okay. So. But that's the plan. The one Jay's talking about is Frankenstein Created Woman, yeah. where the the uh, the woman's uh, the the, the, yeah they they murder the girl's uh, uh fiance and then he puts her it's that one's kind of metaphysical because it's not even like a brain he puts like her soul into his body yeah and then he or no puts his soul into her body
3: yeah and
0: it's it, that that one's a little a little a little 70s but
3: even they, though it was made they get a, <laughs> they get, yeah well they get a little the uh, um the one thing you can say about the ham hammer uh, uh, Frankenstein movies is they don't take the same story and just rehash it over and over. Like they're gonna, like they may use that concept, but it's never like, um, it's the, you're, you don't get Curse of Frankenstein a second time around. You definitely get like, well, we're gonna kill this guy, and how's he gonna, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, that's the end of this movie. You know, jumping ahead a little bit here, but that's yeah, you know, they're gonna they're gonna you know kill him with the guillotine, and it's like, well, we you know now now we know there are sequels, uh, and clearly he has to somehow get away, and it's whatever, it's all those different things that go on. Um, but you know when you look at because *Revenge of Frankenstein*, was for, that was also uh, directed by Terrence Fisher as well. Um, and, like Luke's right, the only repeating character is the Baron himself. Yeah, you know, he's the not, only one that
0: appears in, in all of them is is the yeah. Baron. So even which which again, but that 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 follows suit because if you look at the Dracula films, we get kind of a similar pattern uh, where you know Lee appears as the Count, but the other characters around him are, are different as well. The, for, the thing that yeah. about about this one, and as I said, I mean, I, I absolutely love the story to this. I love Cushing's performance. I love Lee's performance. But again, looking at it with the, the foreknowledge of what comes after it, you can see the groundwork being absolutely laid uh, for the way that Hammer would produce these films. The one that really stood out to me is they do a lot of long takes, which befits when you've got classically trained stage actors performing. So, and beautiful uh, you know, sets. yes, and in beautiful costume, also taking full advantage of the color that they have at their disposal. You know, the, I'm thinking like the, you know, when you see the, the different uh, 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 top coats and the hats, and everyone's wearing gloves and everyone's got suits and they've got, uh, you know, waistcoats and ties and, you know, the, the dresses that Elizabeth wears and all that. And then, as, as, as Scott was saying, with the, the, the power of the creature and the the, the the contrast between his skin and the black suit that he's in. And even when they venture outside with the, the, the lush greens of the English, or Bavarian countryside, it's actually the English countryside, but you know what I mean. But what they'll do is, and you'll see this a couple of times, a good example is when, um, after they reanimate the puppy, and what happened to the puppy? Uh, and they're, you know, <laughs> so Victor and Paul are talking, and the camera stays, is, is put in one spot, it'll move and follow people around, but that take is like, Three, four minutes, and then you know. So for these the scenes where it's conversation and plot development, we'll have these long takes. It's this kind of stagey approach to it. But then you get to the scenes that are more have more tension and more excitement when they're in the lab, for instance. Anytime they're in the lab, it's quick cuts. It's cut to you know to the creature and to the doctor and to his hands and to the machinery and back and keep going around. Then back to the wide shot. So it 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 uses the uh, it, it lets the actors act. But then it's not afraid to not be completely stayed in the cinematography and the direction and you know, cut increase the the, the or decrease the amount of time between cuts and increase the number of cuts in, in a scene to build that tension and build that excitement as as what, as a creature's coming to life or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So from and that would become very much Hammer's kind of stock and well, trade. They were also was that they were super budget that, conscious. So oh, absolutely! Like, you set up one, you set up one shot, and you film for four or five minutes. That's that's one setup for five minutes of film. Right,
2: and when you do a series on film, when you do a series of short of short takes, even if it's like five longer takes that you cut into shorter cuts, each time you take one of those shorter takes, you know you got to leave a few feet of film on either end as the tags on it and stuff. So it's you know way more budget efficient to take those long scenes. And then to to use the money on the more exciting parts, and plus they, you know, I think they also knew that if you did it in that sort of old-fashioned manner, and it's a period piece, it would give the movie. That's why the movie still plays great now, right. you know, because oh yeah, it's it's not like ugh. Look at those stupid costumes! Ah, nobody has a phone. You know, it's like yeah, it, it's it's always gonna be like that forever. You know, it's a it's a period piece, right. so it helps a lot.
0: That that is one of the advantages of doing a period piece mm-hmm. in in general. Mm-hmm. You right. know, it's I, I think we I think we talked about this way back during King Kong month. You well, know, well especially if that you do King the Kong was not was not a period piece, but it is now. You know? Right, right. <laughs> but I mean,
2: if you did, uh, you know, nineteen fifty-seven, you know. If, if you had sort of 1950, if you were like, all right, we're going to film this movie taking place in the old times, but and they did this a lot in more getting towards the 60s and 70s, but 57s almost, the 60s, where they would have something going on in the 1800s, but you'd still have guitars on the soundtrack going twang, 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 you know. And they, they just, you know, they didn't, they did or, you know, the filming style would be... You know, sort of the the method of the times, though. They did it very just straight forward and, the, you know, the way they filmed it is sort of fits with those times, too. And even how not just how people acted in those times, but how a performance would be in that time.
1: So, yeah, it, just, it wouldn't it wouldn't take much to modify that and modify this and turn it into a stage play. Right,
2: right. Oh, no, not at all. Especially, well, nowadays, yeah, you could. it would be one of the simpler sets, I imagine, because it wouldn't have the Titanic sinking or anything like that.
4: <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, because there were a number of times while I was re-watching this, uh, this afternoon that I was thinking, you know, this is a lot like a stage play, mm-hmm. uh, especially the moments uh, between uh, Paul and... Um, Oh, the woman, I can't think of her Elizabeth. name off. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah. yeah. Between the two of them, a lot of those came off like a, like moments out of a stage play, I thought.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, and it, but it, and it, like I said, I, I think it still works because you've got people that can act in that style. Mm-hmm. And again, as Chris was saying, because it's period, we're, we're willing to accept it because it's, it's a little stilted. But it was Victorian, you know, again, I keep saying Victorian England, but it's really Victorian Bavaria. But it's Victorian England. Yeah. You know? So it you know, wasn't it's even a Bergemeister
2: with a German accent or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I mean everyone has an. That's em- down the road. Distinctly, distinctly uh, uh, English uh, accent for uh, Bavaria. The mentioning Elizabeth. One of the other things that I thought was uh, interesting uh, and may amused me when I was rewatching this is that um, on their the eve of their wedding night, the dress she is wearing is like the prototypical hammer girl dress. You showing know? cleavage. It's showing that cleavage. Getting away with as much cleavage as you can, and then every other inch of her is covered, including the gloves. But it's well, a hammer girl. The biggest, hands. It, 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 no no, but I'm saying it's 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 like, you know, it's from uh, the critic. Is it white or is it hussy white? You know, just the gloves are hussy Well white. in in the back and, of the us. in the
2: back of the House of Horror book that I have, one of the last sections of it. Is just you know the the women of Hammer Films, and it's basically all the publicity shots of, right. all, of all the women. And you it, you very you know it's like that office where you go onto the fifth floor, and all the secretaries have big boobs and are blonde. And you're like, there's one guy hiring all the secretaries on this, <laughs> and, and some of them are blonde, and some of them have dark hair. But when you, yeah, when you see him, when Hammer you see them in their publicity hair. photos, they're all dressed similarly. The the bosom is placed pretty much in the same part of the the frame of the, the shot and yep. prominently and and the, no, the you know the poses are very similar and it's just like okay
0: hammer yeah. hammer saw their good thing and they were gonna go with it forever absolutely well this gets back to what Jay was saying about you know your target audience I mean if you're targeting at teenager and young and 20 year old guys.
2: Or forty-eight-year-olds.
0: You know, <laughs> well, no, but but again, you know, having a good-looking, a good-looking good chick in the the, and, you know, it's how much can you get away with in your Victorian setting? In fact, I think you can you can show a whole lot of cleavage because that was the style of the time. Yeah. In fact, yeah. they lose this when they move to the modern day in the Dracula movies because then all the chicks are mod, yeah. and so it's cool that they're mod chicks, but mod chicks don't wear necklines down to their navels, you know? No.
1: Okay. No. So. Then it
0: became more <laughs> mini skirt. I, yeah, the miniskirt side of it. But uh, I used to worship uh, the the at the temple of the miniskirt sometimes when I was at Clemson. But that's neither here nor well, there. Well, they they kept Elizabeth. <laughs> they, they kept Elizabeth
2: very like she was a virginal, you know, nice girl. But they made sure to have Doctor Frankenstein and the maid, you know, the maid be a saucy, saucy yep. lady, so you can uh, get yeah. the saucy lady. She, saucy, she right? gets to make out with with Peter Cushing. Woo-hoo! Ooh, she must have been psyched that day on,
3: on set. Yep. I just have a well, real Indian- quick... Go ahead, Jeff. Real quick. Uh, so, Elizabeth, when she's young, she's played by Sally Walsh, and she's actually the daughter of Hazel Court who played Elizabeth when she's older. Oh, okay. And <laughs> So, they wanted to make sure they looked the same. Well, that's her actual daughter, who actually didn't want to do it at all, but they talked her into it. Uh, she's like, I don't want to do this. And they're like, well, we need you to. You look, you know, they, they looked the part. Um... Well, yeah, and I mean, plus you're, you're, well, not, you're
0: non-union, so that's yeah, real
3: important I like, <laughs> you know. I, I just want. To, I was gonna say this before, and I and I. Uh, this is something that um, Luke and I saw this a long time ago. We actually had. uh yes. What, yes. what What was that yes. thing we called? Had the,
0: we had the Fumetti, the Fumetti monsters. Yes. The Famous Monsters put out three Fumetti magazines. One was The Mole People. Yep. The next one was The Horror of Party yep. Beach. And the third one was a double sized one with The Curse of Frankenstein and The Horror of Dracula. Wow. And we had the, the first one we had was that last one. And that yeah. was where
3: we were introduced to these two films. Because these movies weren't available at first, um, even through my dad's, like, knowing, like, you know, ordering of stuff, like I talked about. Uh, for, like, Black Scorpion and stuff like that. You used to, you used to go back in the cable book where they sell the illegal black boxes. There was always some guy selling these things. But these movies just were never available, never available. We actually read about them long before we ever saw them. Uh, and that's a, there was a number of movies like that. Even the universals weren't readily available all the time. So Famous Monsters became a way for us you know, as second-generation monster kids to kind of, like, get our, you know, to whet our appetites. And, like, we knew about stuff so when it was time to see, you know, The Curse of Frankenstein and stuff, when we actually saw the movies, we actually kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, and and the, the the Fumetti for this one, I, mean, I remember reading that thing, you know, the, the Dracula and the Frankenstein, cover to cover over and over again. You know, so you kind of knew what was going to happen in the film before you ever saw the film. One of the things I wanted to bring up real quick, I was going to say it before, but I didn't get a chance. Um so Victor is—he's uh, uh, determined to like you know bring things back to life. Now think about this: he's how old is he? Fifteen when he's an orphan, right? Yeah. Again, the, the, the movie, so he's lost his parents, right? Uh, by the age of fifteen, his parents are now dead. So part of that, him—I think part of the reason why Paul doesn't see him as being a uh, you know a maniac or insane is because Paul is the, is brought in. So the movie opens. Paul's brought in to be his teacher that he's now hired. He's clearly, even though he's young, he's he's clearly driven to do something. And I think that desire to have the ability to bring back life, because when you he lost so much in his life, he, he wants to control that. And, and there's always that touch in Frankenstein, uh, even if you go back to Mary Shelley, the idea of playing God and the idea of being able to create life. And one of the things that when you read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I always found striking. And we actually, um, you know, this is one of those things that, again, I don't know how you guys discussed in high school. but Luke and I were in high school. We definitely talked about this kind of stuff was he's so obsessed with creating life. Yet he has a wife who you can create life with by getting her pregnant. And then the most. Yeah. She's a hammer girl.
2: So it'd be an awesome experiment.
3: saying he's all about, (laughs) like, he's all about creating life. Right. And, and bring it back because he's lost so much in his life. He doesn't want to take a chance and be able to lose that anymore. So if anyone was to go away from him and they were to die, he could bring them back. And that's I, to me, that's the. It always kind of struck me that that's where this is going from. Now, hey, what about it,
2: that? That brings. That, that. I'm sorry to, to spiral yeah, yeah. off, but that ties in with the prequels because that was Anakin's yeah. Yeah. fixation was. You know, right. people well, died to bring him back, and, and then he comes back like Frankenstein off
0: a slab. Back like Frankenstein, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of that why that that that. But thing is, you know, as you old saying, there's no new there's no new stories. Everything's just a rehash of something from somewhere. And let's be honest here, no matter what story we're looking at, whether it's it's Curse of Frankenstein, whether it's, uh, you know, something is like when we talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, whether it's Star Wars or any of those things, somewhere in there. You can trace back pieces to, you know, things that happen a long time. You can kind of like, well, this is this kind of idea that might have been influenced by that. It's very clear, excuse me, that uh, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is something that um, has gone on to influence a lot of other uh, literature and art and stuff beyond the scope of this, you know, young to teenage to young adult woman writing a scary story. Uh, to try to win a contest, you know, back in the eighteen whatever, right? The idea of playing God, uh, um, where it's he's so worried about, cre- you know, bringing back life and creation of life, and here we see much more about him trying to re-, to re bring back life compared to, say, in 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 the book where it's all about creating life so he can be he can be the one in power. I think it uh, was it Kenneth. Oh crap! Kenneth Branagh plays it in Mary Shelley's, Mary Brunner, Shelley's Frankenstein. Right. Well, Kenneth right. Branagh directed that too. Yes. didn't he. I'm yeah. saying, but th- doesn't he play Frankenstein in that? Did, yes, Branagh
0: plays the doctor, and he directed yeah. it. And yeah. Branagh, I was going to say, in Branagh's version, they club you over the head with it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. at one point he actually says, "I shall defeat death" or something like that. Yeah.
3: And it, so it's
0: in like... this is this is much more subtle and much yes. better done. in yes. yes. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, well, I, I agree. To the point that when when we read, okay. I, I had I had I had some cool English teachers in in high school, okay. And so uh, sophomore sophomore lit, we read Frankenstein, right? And um, uh, uh, oh well, she she ended up marrying Caladona. so Mrs. Caledonia was our uh, was our English teacher, and we and we were reading Frankenstein, and she said, well, she's like, I was gonna do Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but I said, but she goes, I watched it; it's nothing like the book. <laughs> and not, so yeah. I said, well, I said, you know, we could watch The Curse of Frankenstein. And she said, "Well, I've never seen that." And she's like, I "And just like I don't know." It's like so we ended up watching Young Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, it's "So it, it wrong worked with that out." One I was
3: okay with that, you know. <laughs> But <laughs> well, Young Frankenstein's got more objectionable things in it for a uh, Catholic high school to show than this movie. <laughs>
0: no, but you know Young Frankenstein did a better job of showing the madness of the doctor. Oh, it does. And all that. Young yeah. Frankenstein's again, got
2: got Terry Gar is the hammer girl in it too, and that's yeah,
0: well, she is definitely yeah. a hammer girl. Despite but, it being in black and white, she's a hammer yeah, girl for sure yeah, in that. Yeah. Yeah. oh would you like Whoa, to have a roll, hey. roll the <laughs> that
2: one has for, forever yeah that forever influenced my adolescence <laughs> <laughs>
0: i love terry Garr. terry Gar, if you i love you terry Gar. yes i say not not to get off on a young frankenstein bit but a line i use from that all the time again my grandfather worked for your grandfather the rates have gone up <laughs> <laughs>
3: So that's more, that's
0: more of a universal thing than a, than a hammer thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those, it's one of those scenes and, and it's one of the things that, again, getting back to what, what Scott was saying earlier about, uh, you know, the, him, him being like in a, almost like a, abusing an animal, some a, a dumb animal thing, you know, he's, he's got all this power and, you know, he, but he doesn't seem to care about showing it to the world, you know, uh, when they, when they reanimate the, the puppy, and Paul says, "Oh, the, the the academy or whatever meets in a month. Can we get a paper ready?" He's like, "Well, we could do that, but he's got no interest in that. You know, this it's is about him him being the one that can do it all. Him being the one that can discover oh. the secrets and oh. throw out whatever. You know, he, he he's you know he, he, he you know he's, when he says what like I said before, you haven't shown any scruples before. It's, it's the idea of showing that you know any time that Paul says it's evil, Victor gets this look of disgust on his face because it's." You know, it's he's like, like what kind of
2: scientist science? are you? Yeah.
0: Exactly. What kind of scientist are you that, that you're worried about super silly superstition? You know, science is a, is about discovering the unknown. That's what we're doing. So he has he has he feels totally justified. Even when the creature in in the great scene Scott was referring to comes back, is first animated and nearly kills him, he feels he's happy. He is he is he is happy about it because he succeeded. This guy's he's got some energy. <laughs> yeah and he, and, he, and he immediately says, "I'll operate on the brain I can get it you know I'll repair it tomorrow we'll start surgery right away it shouldn't he goes it shouldn't take too long he's he's already excited getting ahead of himself you know the the other the other thing I wanted to mention kind of the the the, um, the other reveal that I really like in this is after they, uh, the the creature escapes and they go out and he kills the the kid and the grandpa and then Paul shoots him that's a, again a great effect there yeah. <clears throat> when um, Paul goes and sees Victor in the lab and then Victor shows him out, then Victor goes into the locked room and we see the creature just hanging on the hanging up. And what I like about it is it's almost the opposite of the first reveal of the creature. Cause the first reveal is a dramatic, a quick, Quick uh, zoom and pan, and he turns around, and he tears the bandage off, and it's a big stinger musical hit, whereas this is Victor just calmly walking in, and there's no music at all, and we look up, and there's the creature just hanging there, and we know again, it's like, this rat bastard, he's doing it again, and he lied to Paul, and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants, because... Why shouldn't he? You know, that's his attitude is this is for science. What's what's the problem? You know, and in his nonchalant ways, like, well, you know, I, I, re- I, uh, I brought him to life once. It was trivial to do it again. You know, it's like you're reanimating bodies. And now it's like, eh, that's no big deal. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's that even even when they talk to the professor, he says that he goes, we, we quickly grow tired of our new discoveries. And we sell our discoveries to someone who, you know, doesn't understand them because we're too busy going after the next one. So everything that he says is very true, you know. And Victor kind of laughs it off because, you know, it's like you're going to be dead in ten minutes, old man. What do you care? <laughs> so, you
1: <old> bastard.
0: <laughs> like, don't ruin this for me, man. This is my moment. <laughs> Stay off the mask. <laughs> kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, I mean, what are you going to expect from a guy that's going to willingly put his pregnant mistress
0: into the room with the creature? I love that he sets her up. It's oh, so guessly I like think I said, as you see with the baron down the line, that's so that's so barren, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a hashtag
1: now. I want so t shirt. That, that's a smiling so picture of Peter Cushing. Well here's, here's so the thing
2: that I was a little unclear on though, is he definitely does but seem to feel remorse or at least wretched about about killing her. But um, how did they, d- you, you know, did he, did he admit, to, I guess the whole thing is his confession? Yeah. Yeah, so.
0: Well, that, that's, that's what he's on trial for, is for killing, uh, killing Justin. Justin. But, yeah. but at, at the point, he, he sort of gives his confession
2: to the priest after the trial, or to the, yeah, it's a priest that comes to visit him before he's yeah. going to the, the, the chop chop. So. <laughs> So di- I guess well, he's he must not have even giving his confession because to... he
0: says he says to the priest that he wants people he wants his story to be known.
2: Oh, okay. So uh, he's just okay. filling but in the blanks.
0: Right, well because well because the he, the priest asked or the uh, it's again it's 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 totally not Victorian England. The vicar asks him, "Do you seek spiritual comfort?" And he says, "No, nothing like that." Cuz <laughs> says, I want you to tell my story and he says, "Well, you know, if you think I'm a man of influence and people listen to me, you're mistaken." So he he wants his story to be known that he yeah. did that you know that, that he did this and all it's that, and that, that. It's not that he feels not, bad. And no, it's he, like I well I didn't kill uh, Justin the, the creature killed Justin. Yeah. I'm he, he, innocent. Let me out of here so I can continue to do these
3: horrible <laughs> horrible but, things. But that's that's his attitude. His complete attitude is like I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a scientist. I'm doing this for science. Like yeah. it's like it's like you know the he completely the end justifies the means completely right. the end justifies the means with him because if he, he feels there's no way in the world I did anything wrong I'm doing this for science because I'm a scientist and I'm above the law but by the same token he also feels that he's god in that he can now control who who gets to come back and who dies you know he's I I can fix a brain no problem I can bring this back and we see I mean clearly he he kind of you know he's going more and more insane and as as you go on in the series of movies you see this keep going on Cushing has the amazing ability to be 100% believable right he's talking about crap it's it's insane the stuff he's talking about but you believe he can do it you're like yeah. well, I, I, I totally buy i buy that for a dollar you know i totally I buy, buy it <laughs>
0: well you and the, the thing about the killing of of justin is that it's 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 subtle in in one sense in that Every time that Fisher has shown us the, the victor either coming into or leaving his lab, he is fastidious about locking it. He yeah. unlocks it when he comes in, he walks to the door, closes it, locks it from the inside, and then vice versa. Every single time we see him do it, except when he knows Justin's out there. He right. specifically goes out, and, and first it's like, well, why didn't he lock it, you know? And then you're like, that's why he didn't lock uh, yeah. it. It's like so, they, you know, it's little things like that that it's attention to detail, but and the, that's that one doesn't, thing doesn't I always he lock like.
3: It when she goes in
0: after she goes in, doesn't he lock yes, it? Yes. Oh no, he comes in and locks the inner door behind her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like he leaves gotcha. the door to the lab. He <laughs> leaves the door to the lab open. It's like, well, why? Why the hell did he do that? He never does that. And it's like, of course, that's why he did it. Yeah. You know. So it, it's and it, again, it's a little attention to detail, and, and Fisher was very good about that. And so was Jimmy Sangster. Jimmy Sangster wrote a lot of the the very well-regarded Hammer films. And you know there there are some obviously that are better than others, but he was a guy that he didn't write schlock. Even when it was schlocky, I think usually the stuff he wrote, he meant it to be intelligent and well thought out, you know? And and uh, and you see that here. There there's for you know, there, there is the potential to be uh, you know like like you were saying it's got some some cheesy aspects here but everything is, is played very straight and everyone plays it very straight so that it it adds that air of kind of credibility they to the thing sell it, yeah thing.
2: They sell, even when the and cheese still, happens sell still wanna,
0: it. I still want to know what happened to the puppy <laughs> they ate it Where is that it was, it was the marmalade it, that was the marmalade it was it was uh you know retriever flavored marmalade marmalade <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh-huh. and also, again, not Victorian England. We're totally eating marmalade in Bavaria. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <Okay. laughs> I'm sure they had preserved fruit in Bavaria. It you called didn't call marmalade, it marmalade, though. You're a preserved... Whatever like the, the Bavarian favorite. word is. It's like the most English word ever, marmalade. With <laughs> Paddington Bear coming in here. It's like, marmalade? Oh
1: hey you stay away you leave paddington alone
0: i love paddington Bear. i make no make no bones about it. he's cool
3: he's Too down paddington he's down he's always looking like a flasher to me oh
2: maybe my halloween story this year will be about paddington bear
0: oh, looks <laughs> like a flasher with the hat pulled down over his paddington face and a big overcoat Paddington bear he comes up to you and starts patting
1: you on the bum <laughs> jeez no
0: i might
3: Mate, hey mate, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Is your wife a goer? Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Nudge, nudge, mean. wink, wink. Know what I mean? Know what I mean?
0: Photographs, hey, <laughs> eh? photography, hey, eh, eh, hey, eh. hey, candid, candid photography, hey, eh, eh, hey, eh. hey. I would
1: have liked to have seen Elizabeth some candid
0: photography. <laughs> candid, hey, eh? I'm
3: sure <laughs> I was hoping for that.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, the thing is, this is too early yeah, in the hammer horror. Yeah, we- yeah, but
0: the '70s you, you gotta,
3: camera movies.
0: Well, there's some. There's boobage in those. You, you, you 70s get
3: boobage. You get to Countess Dracula. She's oh buck ass naked. <laughs> buck uh, ass naked. Uh, bathing in, in the, blood. the blood. Um, you cut the uh, uh was it um, the Vampire Lovers? You get to um, uh, well, you get all the those caveman circles. movies too. Those got some the, naked ladies in them. Not really. They don't have as well, much. Uh, not
0: I was as much say as, that in. Uh, when dinosaurs ruled, the Earth has a little bit at the beginning, doesn't it? Very, very little. But it's yeah. much
3: more. There's much more nudity actually in the uh, the vampire later va- movie. vampire movies than there are yeah. in any of the caveman movies. Which would make sense. The caveman movies should have a lot of nudity well, in it, um, but they don't. Well, their 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 fur bikini technology was light years ahead. us. Yes. right. So, <laughs> yes. yes. Well, remember Hammers one at one million years BC, uh, which yeah. is a Harryhausen movie, and people forget it's Hammer at times. But, you know, I mean, that's th- like there's... that's like the crossing of the streams, man. It's Hammer and Harryhausen. Yeah, that, that's that, freaking awesome. I just want to say that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying this. But that's that's where those two things cross. And there's not there's no nudity in that whole entire film. Um, you know, they're all in their fur bikinis and whatever, you know, have you. But uh, when, when Dinosaur ruled the earth, it's very minimal. I want to think it's because because I watched it with, with Haley was watching it with me and I remember going, oh, I forgot. You know, there's nudity. I think. Well, I want to say it's right at the
0: beginning when they're going to sacrifice her. Yeah, it, I, is she there? She's top in that. Or is it?
3: Is, is it no, no. I thought. I, th- is, I think there's like a, a scene where one of the the darker haired uh, guys are trying to rape one of the girls. Like it's it's yeah, that, it's it's too, it's, yeah. it's something that just doesn't it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, but it makes sense in the context. And I remember yeah, well, watching. And it, they and they did
0: that on some of the later Hammer films. I remember again oh. specifically, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed has a scene with. The probably too old Peter Cushing attacking and raping a girl, which yes. he did not want to do, and he nope. fought vehemently to get that removed from the script because he said, "and and I love Cushing because it's like not that he doesn't want to do it or he thinks it's inappropriate. He goes, the Baron wouldn't do that. Yeah, you know, he's like, he, why, we've never seen him do something like this. Baron Frankenstein would not do that, but it was in there because it was, I think, must be destroyed as what 1970 or something like that, yeah, and that right. was." Hammer had to put the exploitative elements into their films by that point. You know, here, obviously, we're, we're not there yet. And, you know, that, that's one of the things that some of those later Hammer films can get a little ridiculous with is, you know, the, the, the exploitative elements that are put in there. You uh, you know, you know to, to to kind of sex it up because you couldn't get away with it like you could here in 1957 with a plunging neckline and uh, you know, um, you know, heaving bosom as they stare down the monster of, of whichever film.
2: The 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 writer, what was the writer's name? Jimmy Sangster. Sangster. I, he yeah. said he purposely for Frankenstein and Dracula wouldn't read the source material. He did not yeah. want to read the source material. He wanted to sort of. Work with what he just knew of the legend and put his own spin on it. And he purposely said with the Dracula that he wanted to like ha, the Hammer Dracula would play up the sexual aspect of the the vampire, where the girls really want to get bit <laughs> and really enjoy getting bit. So you know, and yeah,
0: we'll we'll, we'll get we'll we'll definitely we'll cover those. There, in yeah, depth. <laughs> we'll but, get to uh, those heaving bosoms. Even a bosoms. Bosoms. <laughs> but uh, no, I, this this was this was a joy to revisit for me because, like I said, this is one of my all time favorites and and I remember back in the day in hallowed antiquity of around I don't know the mid two thousands when I was running my old horror website Luke's Vault of Horror, I reviewed this film because I I uh, broke out my DVD one weekend when I was home by myself and watched it and wrote a review. And I remember the name of my article was Mad Scientists Get No Love. And that was the whole pro- point of it was that, you know, um, you know, when you say Frankenstein, most people think the monster and that the mad scientist doesn't get a lot of love. The, the, and obviously Cushing, to me, is probably the greatest screen mad scientist of all time. One thing that's a little ironic is that there is another mad scientist in a Frankenstein film who kind of approaches the level of mad science Retorious. that we get here. Which, what was that? Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein? No, Bert- Pretorius is, is up there, but I was thinking more the, I forget his name now, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it's, uh, what's his name, it's, it's like Dr. Earlman or something played by Boris Karloff in House of Frankenstein, because he has the same kind of, you know, complete lack of ethics and morals that Cushing has, he has a complete, the same idea of, well, you know, it's like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll work with Dracula for science, you know? <laughs> And it's like if he kills people, I don't really care. I didn't do it. You know, I just helped him come back to life. You know, it's, <laughs> so it, I, I can, you know, so to me that, that that's a little bit of just connective tissue. I doubt there's really any any other connection between those. Like I said before, House of Frankenstein is a great monster mash, but it's certainly not a a serious horror film like we get here. So I did, that. That just amused me because you know. Karloff, obviously best known for playing the monster, got a turn to play the mad scientist also. Cushing never got a chance to play the monster, but he was really kind of the monster from the start. So uh
3: Karloff's character is Dr. Gustav Neiman. Neiman. Is Niemann. it
0: is it
3: like is it like Erlman or something in, in House of Dracula? I d I don't get to House of Dracula. Hang on, I gotta get there. Uh
0: okay. but it's
3: it's it's Gustav Neiman. Gustav Neiman. And and
0: um and um Oh damn it I'm blanking on his name now. He uh plays plays his hunchback assistant which is oh, I can't think of his, the act Oh J. Carol Nash. J. Carol yeah. Nash plays uh his his assistant in that who is also awesome. Uh but again not not a universal uh, oh, okay. horror podcast. At so the
3: in the and uh it's not it's not Carloff in uh, House of Dracula. No, It's, it's Ons, Onslow Stevens plays yep. Dr. Franz Edelman. Edelman
0: who turns into like a, a Jekyll and Hyde type monster. But House of Dracula kind of sucks, I'm sorry to say. I've tried <laughs> twice in the past, twice, with past you. twice in the past. year. I've tried to sit down and watch it. One That's time bad. was on Svengoolie and I fell asleep and I said, well, it's late. You know, maybe I'm tired. So the next time was in the middle of the day and I still started falling asleep. It's only like 66 minutes. Well, now you know when you have insomnia what to do. House of Dracula.
3: Absolutely. The problem with those movies was they were getting to the point where they just were trying to cash in and cash in. And I think what hurts, uh, well, House of Dracula is just not very good. Um, House of Frankenstein is better than that, and that's not even that great a movie. Is they are nowhere near as good as what came after them, which was Aben Costello. Me Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Frankenstein. As a horror movie standal, like forget put the comedy aspects aside, as a monster, you know, meet up mashup, what you want to call it, is really good as well, a we, comedy we, and it's really yeah. good. What I'm saying we is we covered it. Yes. You're on the vault. So yes. what I'm saying is it's 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 one of those rare occasions where it actually works really well as the horror mashup movie. It works really well as that comedy, and I think that's what eventually hurt it. Because you got to remember, if there, when you saw House, of, well, we didn't see it, but when House of Dracula came out, when like our dad would have seen that thing in the movie theater, you know, because uh, he would have seen those kind of things as part of the Saturday matinee. You plunked down your 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 dime or your quarter or whatever it was, and you saw movies all day long. You know, you were like, oh, I get to see all the monsters in one movie. That's so awesome. And that's really what it came down to. It reminds me of, like, the universal uh, mummy movies. By the time you get to, like, the fourth one, what's that one, Luke? The, uh,
0: well, the, um, the it goes the mummy, then the mummy's hand, the mummy's uh, tomb, the mummy's curse. No, mummy's ghost and the mummy's curse. By the time so the you get to the fourth one is the mummies uh, ghost.
3: Yeah, we have, by the time you get to the last one of that series, it's showing you. It's only sixty minutes long, and it shows you flashback footage from two other movies. Yeah, <laughs> so they were like, "Well, we could pad this out," and that's really what it came down to. Is they knew their target audience those little kids sitting in the theater, you know, plunk down their, you know, their their whatever, and they're sitting there all money, day. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Those movies. But that, but, well, also, but that, you but didn't that, get to rewatch the movies as much, so right. seeing
2: scenes from another movie wasn't as much of a rip-off then as it feels yeah. like oh. now.
3: Right. Well, what I'm but, saying, and, though, is but, was, that, they were trying to make these creates, cheaper, you know, kind of churn out. That,
0: that creates the scenario that leads to Hammer, though.
3: Yes. You know, exactly. because
0: Shock and Son of Shock, I want. Well, Shock was was either right around this time or maybe slightly after it. I wanna say, I don't again, I don't have my Universal Monsters book here with me. But so the the idea when that and and shock was the package when the Universal Monster films, Universal Horror Films in general, because it did include some non monster films in there as well, when those started becoming shown on T V syndicated across the country and kind of brought them back into the collective consciousness again. Um, so, you know, it was right around that time. There was a re-interest in the, in these monsters because, you know, we had gone away from the classical monsters and into the fifties, we were in the atom age horror, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was the monster movies now was, you know, the beast and 20,000 fathoms and the beginning of the end and them and, uh, the deadly mantis and Godzilla and you no, know, the, the atomic movies, the scientific movies. And so the, it, I think we were prying for, a, a rediscovery of these old gothic movies and these gothic horrors. And it was, it was in, in Hammer, they, you know, right place, right time with the right cast and the right crew. You know, it's one of those perfect storm situations. If you don't have Peter Cushing playing the doctor, maybe this is a one and done. You know, if you don't have Terrence Fisher directing it again, maybe this is not as good and it's not remembered now. We're not talking about it uh, 60 years after the fact. So it's it's one of those maybe if <laughs> you know? yeah. it yeah, really exactly. in black, black and white, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Filming in black and white instead of, of color, you know. So although I think this had... would
2: have worked in black and white too, but oh, yeah. the color was a nice addition. Yeah, well, I you think know? the color makes
0: it stand out as yeah, being so different. The I mean, the blood certainly pops. Yeah. yeah. the well, hammer,
1: hammer
0: blood. blood, hammer blood is such a classic. The tempura paint as blood, you know.
3: Yeah, but it's it's really funny, and I gotta throw this out there again. The because again, we've talked, Luke and I've talked about the idea of the hammer, the really red blood. Uh, Whenever you are painting and doing things like, like in scale figure, especially, um, depending on the scale you're at, we like I do one to ones, or sometimes I'll go to as small as like one tenths and stuff like that. And Luke builds stuff much smaller than that. The idea of portraying blood at that level is done differently with at different size. You know, you can portray blood to look differently. Hammer, just it's clearly. They're not going for, well, this is the most realistic. They're going for the visceral red. It's it's as bright as it can get. And um, so one of the things when you paint, uh, like, and I've always found this to be an issue, if I'm painting a hammer piece, do I paint the blood realistically or do I paint the blood as red tempura paint, which is easy enough to get, you just put it on there. And um, while it works really well in their movies because it was their distinctive style.
2: Sorry, we're having technical difficulties right now with Skype, but we'll be back. Still talking about blood in three, two,
0: one. On the doctor's uh, camel-colored uh, waistcoat, you know, is that it's it's there. It's it's like stage blood. You mm-hmm. know, it's there to be seen because it it's not it. It, it's not high affect or anything like that, but it's it's part of that style of that um, you know that's that stage based style that Hammer really kind of worked to a T, especially on these early films.
3: Hmm. So. Their blood well, eventually blood did eventually. change too. They, the yeah, later every, movies it, in the seventies, they started going more realistic, uh, um, syrup like blood. Well, the thing was they had it. They they still kept. I'm thinking. Like Dracula, AD nineteen seventy two, Satanic Rights of Dracula, those things. Right. They started getting more into that. Like, like, trying. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to I, at the end, it's oh, is that Satanic Rights where they got the friggin' wheel through them? Which one no, of the two of them? Uh, is that seventy
0: two? Is that Satanic Rites? I thought that was. I thought that was Risen from the Grave with the wheel
3: well no right you know i'm thinking of the thorns tearing them apart the thorns yeah the thorns satanic rights yeah. satanic rights he's bleeding like he's like or like the blood coming down his eyes and like it's all the different movies That's scars of Dracula's in there too that's one of the ones yeah um you know they they, they eventually started changing the blood around because they were like well we got to kind of start you know evolving with the times and i think when they started doing that they lost a little bit of what made it so special um, yeah. And, and it doesn't you know what also what hurt it, too, was the fact that they were kind of like, well, we kind of got a story here. Let's start working this out, you know, kind of thing. And they didn't have Terrence Fisher, uh, you know, in there. And I think, too, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, because Christopher Lee had actually said about this movie, he said to Peter Cushing, he goes, I don't have any lines. And Cushing said, uh, you know, you should, you know what uh, he said. I'll read it. I'll read it because I have it right here. He goes, I have got no lines. And Cushing responded, you're lucky. I've read the script, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, you know, these guys are actually trash- because he trained actors. In fact, Lee got the role as, a- as the monster um, because he was only uh, they only had to pay him eight pounds per day compared to whoever the other guy was. I forget his name. Uh, oh, Bernard uh, Breslau, whose fee was ten pounds a day. So to save two pounds a day. They said, well, we'll hire Lee, and Lee became a star, and I don't know who the other guy ever was. So, you know what I'm saying? And and this other guy, it's not like the other guy was like, and the other guy became James Earl Jones, you know, kind of thing. It's not like that. (laughs) Would it be funny if it was James Earl Jones? It's not.
1: Oh, James Earl Jones could definitely pull off the creature.
3: Could you imagine the creature? Imagine it very differently. just kind of like, Ugh. I was like, oh, James Earl, what'd you do? You, know? <laughs> you could hear it grunting in his
2: voice, too. That's how distinctive his voice is. You could just hear how that uh, the noises he would make. I think he would have fought for lines.
1: Well, he essentially kind of played a Frankenstein creature. He was the voice of Darth Vader, which is...
2: Oh, that's right.
0: Kind of Frankenstein-y. Right
2: off the slab, yeah.
0: Yeah, literally after the prequels. I mean, that was a little, you know... Hey, you know, I like James Whale, too, but, you know... (laughs) Do you really like James Whale, though? I did not really like James Whale. I mean, James, you know, he's that, that takes on a whole new context. Yes, it does. If, you, if you've seen, if you've seen gods and monsters, you know what I'm talking about, but
3: <laughs> or, or you've seen bride of Frankenstein. Cause it's all over that movie too. Oh yeah. 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 My daughter, bit. my daughter loves Bride of Frankenstein, right? Haley like loves her, her horror movies. Like, bride of Frankenstein. I mean, Bride of Frankenstein's not up there with monsters, but it's up there. And she likes that because she likes the bride. Um, but I'm watching this my wife, and she, my wife looks at me, and she goes, um, are you noticing this? I'm like, oh, it's James Whale. And I had to explain who James Whale was to her, and my wife goes, oh, I totally get it now. I totally get it. <laughs> like, it's all over the movie. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of thing. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, the thing is, uh, what James Whale was able to accomplish uh, with, with Frankenstein, um, I mean, whether you like that as – as I mean, to me, and, and again, this is, uh, uh, I think, a product of how we were brought up to me – uh frankenstein to me will always be boris Koloff because that's the one i always associate being when i when i think of frankenstein what i think of even though i really like curse of frankenstein conversely dracula to me will is always uh christopher lee instead of you know uh, christopher lee when you, when you read dracula he should be he's not this little tiny guy you know it's not legosi um and that's okay and you know people have their own opinions and stuff and everyone's entitled to that but the idea being is uh, Lee as Dracula to me was always what Dracula should look like, and that's and it always seems like. And they uh, always
2: wanted him a little more. He was a little more brutal and animalistic, like we talk about the Dracula in, in, the, in the in the comic, comic. Tuma Dracula. Dracula. Yes, yeah. yeah.
3: And I think I think we we saw that too because the first issue we talked about was much more that classic kind of universal style, and the second issue that was the one where he's in the the the, the bar or the pub, right, uh, yeah. and whatever. And, and he's beating the crap out of them and back in the hotel room, and they're all like, you know, whatever. That, that's much more, you could see that being that raw, physical, and I think we, I mean, I think we all talk about that, too, the idea of it being, the, uh, he was drawn to be this, you know, he looks frail in the bar and tiny, but then when he's engaging them, he's big and powerful, and it's like they're showing that animal that's in him. and I think Christopher Lee is able to bring that in a, in, in a Dracula role, now, Lee didn't play the monster again anywhere else in the Frankenstein series, and I think... He should have. Well, well, oh, but you know what, though? Oh, I just... You know what? You
0: saying that reminds me of another Star Wars connection. Okay. Another Darth Vader connection, because David Prose plays oh, the yeah. monster twice in this
3: series. You're right. He does. He does. Yes.
0: In, well, in tri- what? Evil? Is it? No. Horror Frankenstein and Horror Frankenstein Frank- and the Frankenstein. Monster of Hell.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, Christopher, well Lee, so
2: Christopher Lee and... um. Oops.
3: And yeah, um,
0: Grandma Tarkin,
2: yeah, Cushing, Cushing, reason. yeah, yeah we're, we're, end, uh, end up in Star Wars too. So.
0: Well, yeah, they're they're two they're two well known English actors. Almost all well, of them yeah. ended up yeah. in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, seen, I like it. you know, like Eddie, Eddie Izzard says, ultimately, what is Star Wars but a British movie where people show up and open doors? That's all English movies, right? It's people <laughs> opening doors. <laughs> Star Wars, they just do it on a much grander scale right and that's what we get here what what happens in this movie more than anything else people open doors right oh it's you you
2: know <laughs> I, I think that's i think well, when you go to,
0: problem, you brought a flag you know
2: i think when you go to netflix and you see the little synopsis of this movie it, that's what it says people open doors
0: people open doors Well, you know, the bad thing is, the thing is, nobody brings a flag. As Eddie Izzard said, that's when you knew shit got real is when they brought a flag with them. You know, that was...
1: uh,
3: (laughs) The British were here. They brought a flag. It's like, uh uh-oh. But... (laughs) You know, I was saying, is say with Lee only playing the monster here, I think Lee... um, And I think he wasn't given credit for this until later. Um, You know, his monster has a lot of, uh, you know, you feel bad. I mean, he's acting through that makeup. Now, that makeup... Like we talked about, it, they, Universal threatened to sue them if they, uh, you, know, you know, copied them or whatever. The problem was they couldn't get the makeup to work, so they couldn't just build a mask. So every day they had to build that makeup basically onto his face, but they couldn't use, like, latex or whatever because he was either allergic or had a reaction to it. So every day they were just kind of, like, putting this thing together. Uh, they Okay, they tried to make a life cast of Lee's head, but it failed so Philip Leakey, who is the uh, who uh, had the final design of the day, the shooting began. He um, he just using primarily cotton and other household materials started building the, the the face up. And I think what that by not having a mask on him, by not having a latex or foam, uh, uh, you know, appliance there, we gets he gets to emote more yeah. through that you know, well, I
1: with the dead
2: eye. Do you think yeah. do you think yeah. was, the, I the dead eye, is, the is, dead eye it, adds, it. adds to it? I think the it, dead eye fantastic. really adds to it I mean, because well, he just his, oh, feels so bad for him. It's his mouth. He has that like a gape like surprised and in horror of yeah. probably his own existence sort of look. And it's sort of the same Remember when the, there was the Lost Thomas Edison Frankenstein movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah and the only thing that existed of it was that one picture of the shambly monster mm-hmm. they had a similar the a sort of similar look on their face and to their to their like a ragged like their face had been like shredded a little bit and was dead skin and i wonder if they like were like were influenced by that one still of uh, cuz the the look on his face is just completely what is when he's moving around and stuff and you and you focus on his face and then that's when the humanity starts you know ascribing itself to the creature
3: well i think that also comes back to lee being able to because um in uh, dracula prince of darkness which is the second dracula movie he actually has no lines in the entire film so a dracula movie where dracula says nothing the entire movie and yet, you have no doubt what's going on throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. He's able to just in the way he's looking, in 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 the way he leers at the girl, the way he shows his fang, like just you know brings the you know the the, the, the bring the the his lip up to expose the fang. All of that stuff is there, and I think that speaks a lot to Lee's you know uh, class being classically trained as an actor and understanding that acting is not just the words you're saying, but truly what you're doing. You and, know,
0: and, and the monster here is you know and and we've touched on this already he, mm-hmm. he does elicit a lot of pathos of course, at the yeah. same time that he's um i mean he he's he's a he's a killer he's a wild animal in some capacities too but you know you you're you're you know do you do you feel anger at the wild animal that kills somebody because he doesn't know any better he's been put into a strange situation he's scared he's you know uh afraid he doesn't he's on the run or whatever you know it's 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 almost like it's it's you know they they talk about you know uh, that it's a, a revolt against nature this is kind of nature taking its course you well, know you, you feel created sim-
2: feel, you feel sympathy yes. for them, but if you ran into him in real life you'd be scared you'd
0: you know, hook on yeah, yeah, exactly. the hell away yeah exactly hell away this, I do this like movie that, has one of my of favorite
1: tropes of any movie style ever it's when you unload the revolver and then throw the gun <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: it even works with flintlocks yes flintlock pistols uh one thing about the makeup being kind of done every day is that it does allow them the the face to change a little bit you know they when when uh paul first looks at it they don't show us his face obviously but victor says well he's never was going to be a beautiful specimen the scars will heal and it'll begin to look better and then by the time we see him in the scene you were talking about earlier scott where he's got him chained to the wall the scars have started to heal so the, the makeup does look different. There's a little bit of continuity there. Mm. He doesn't have the open wounds on him anymore that he did right. fresh right. after surgery. He started to heal a little bit. I mean, yeah, he's still kind of lumpy and misshapen, you know, but so am I. And no, that that's okay. You know, I don't, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but like open wounds, look but first, like, you're lumpy and misshapen too. It's okay. You can admit it.
2: Well, I, when I you am. see open wounds like that, that looks sort of like gills that, you know, they're not, he, he wasn't bleeding from them cause he's dead but reanimated he probably should have been bleeding from them but he wasn't those somehow like you know how like when you see a video of someone get a paper cut you get that sympathetic sort of feel of things those cuts on his face totally trigger that for me you know more than if they were like bleeding holes in him or something there's just something about it that looks like raw nerves that was pretty much creeps me out Mm hmm And that's what, and that's what I like, they, they, instead of going for like, let's make our own iconic Frankenstein, they were just like, no, let's make him just, you know, it's almost, um, it's almost mundane, you know, what, what he, he looks like. He looks like a dead person with, you know, bad injuries and, uh. I I'm really glad they instead of being like let's make his head more triangular maybe like a coat <laughs> head or something, <laughs> or or like you know going and well with that budget they're not going to consult surgeons and see like what would his head although later would you would have some I think the Dave Prowse one didn't he have like a screw top head type deal?
0: It's called uh, yeah, the yeah. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, the the creature from hell's got the big bald head on it. He looks like an ape, sort of. Yeah. And the other one he played looked looked actually probably closer to
3: Peter Peter Boyle than any other. Monster. Right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the evil of Frankenstein looks like evil. Karlof Frankenstein. Looks like Karloff. Yeah. uh But the other one uh, in um, Re- is it Revenge? No, Re- which one is it? Horror yeah. for Frankenstein. I'm trying to remember which one had yeah. it looks, a looks like one with like, pros. It looks like Peter Boyle's character. Yeah. You're bald with a little, you know.
2: So. Well, I think I think by the end of uh, Curse of Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein's looking a lot like Harry Dean Stanton.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just got that Steve Buscemi sunken um, eye thing yeah. going on.
1: <laughs> oh, good god!
2: But we got yeah. a lot. We got a lot of Hammer yes planned.
0: Well, mm-hmm. you know, we we uh, you know I, I said this when we did the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first episode of that. And that that we had gotten a lot of requests when we were doing Friday the Thirteenth, saying, When are you gonna do Night by Street? When are you gonna do Night by Street? And maybe not to the same level as that, but we have gotten a lot of people asking, Hey, are you guys, you guys did all those Italian movies. You ever think about doing some Hammer movies? And you know, uh, you you know, you keep repeating the same thing to me over and over. You know, eventually I'll, I'll figure it out. It's like dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Eventually I'll figure it out. So. Uh, so, yes, this is, as I said, the not only is this the first uh, uh, gothic horror from Hammer, this is the first one we shall be covering. So there'll be plenty of more Hammer We're, down the line for all you listeners out there in radio land. Now, uh, uh, real quick, Jay, you're always up on this. I know okay. this is available okay. on DVD because I've got the old clapper case release of this. If, if someone wanted to buy this, how could they go about doing that?
3: Well, the first thing you would have to do is you'd have to go to the Two True Freaks website, and you'd have to click on the Amazon link to go to, because this is how I shop for all my DVDs and Blu-rays. So, natural. yes, yeah. just so I, I got that out there now. Okay, so what we got here, um, you could Amazon Videos got it for 3.99 to rent. Um, there's what's called the TCM Greatest Classic Film Collection, the Hammer, uh, Hammer Horror Collection. This one's got... Um Horror of Dracula, dracula's risen from the grave, the curse of Frankenstein and Frankenstein must be destroyed. Uh on DVD for 11 uh 1169 $11. with prime shipping. That's wow. a steal right there, dude. I mean, all those awesome. movies on uh, that one DVD? It's two DVDs, so it's still, okay. it means they must be uh double sided. Right. Double, double but yeah, it's But Horror of Dracula, dracula's, dracula's risen from the grave, uh curse and then a curse of Frankenstein and Frankenstein must be destroyed all together. That's great. Um, That's four really damn good movies yeah. right there. We'll <laughs> put it this way. get the Blu-ray, is this American? Uh, no. I don't think there's I'm looking for the I don't see the Blu-ray available anywhere. Um another DVD option would be The Curse of Frankenstein and Taste the Blood of Dracula for $7.49. Um, you know, and, and and then exactly what Luke said before, the old snapshell. Sh- you can get that for like twelve sixty nine. They actually have the Hammer Classics Collection, which is what I actually have. This is how old this is. Um, this was The Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, Horror of Dracula, The Mummy, and Taste the Blood of Dracula. But they are all in individual cases oh, yes. uh, in a box set. So it's before they tried to like make all them together. That's like that's almost ninety dollars right now. It wasn't ninety dollars when I bought it back in the day, but. This is not available on Blu-ray, at least not in the U.S. Uh, I know overseas it was made available along with *Horror of Dracula*. Um, it's very expensive uh, over there. As they, I, I'm, it wasn't Arrow. It was I'm some- also
2: very, I'm also very sketchy about like the reality of like whether it's you know it might only be available overseas because it might not be you know an official release. You know what I mean? Amazon has a lot of that sort of floating around
3: oh no like the, uh, they, they, the horror of Dracula they put out an official release of that it was it was it just under the name of Dracula but it was it's it's a it's a blu-ray but it's not it's not region what are we region a I think we are oh, here. Okay. It's, oh all right it's it's a, it's a region B release it's not saying it's not coming um, but it wasn't arrow who put it out it was another company another British company. If Arrow put it out, then we could be seeing it down the road. Arrow has been pretty good about trying to get things here to America. The Ray Harryhausen uh, documentary that just came out is a perfect example. It took a year or two, but they got it here. It's all about just rights and whatever else and distribution and stuff like that. Um, But the best option, I tell you, is that TCM one. Two discs for that. I mean, there's not a a bad movie in that bunch. Uh, I mean, Horror Dracula, um, which you know to me is probably one of the best arguably one of the best dracula movies ever and that establishes chris as dracula and then you have curse of frankenstein those two alone are worth the price of admission you know what i'm saying so
0: yeah then you throw what is it uh, risen from the grave risen from the grave uh, which is a very good entry yep, and yep. then uh, frankenstein must be destroyed is actually a personal favorite of mine if you want just a mad scientist no monster needed yeah i um, i i would it. i would
3: agree with luke i would say that I mean, Curse of Frankenstein is really good. I'm not, and I'm not taking anything away from this movie, but what I'm saying is from just a pure seeing Christopher, uh, excuse me, a Peter Cushing doing his his Doctor Frankenstein or Victor Frankenstein stuff, then Frankenstein must be destroyed. Might be the quintessential of that. Yeah. Um, it's it's it, it's got the, just a the great scene where he's walking with the. The head and the case and the whole oh, ah, yeah. just a great carrying the sickle, you know, kind of thing. It's just, it's just, <laughs> it's got all. It's it's crazy, but there's stuff but that's it. there, and you see his, you know, he's not just some crazy person killing people. He's, you know, he's doing the. He's 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 perfected man this. on a mission. Well, but yeah. he but he he knows the character. I think that's yeah. part of what this comes down to too. Is again, the first movie in any series. Who knew? They didn't know this was going to lead to more movies. But by the time you got to the third entry, he truly knew what the characters should and should not be doing to the point where, like Luke said, um, there's the rape scene in one of them where he's like, he wouldn't just wouldn't do that. That's not this character. And I think that's part of what this comes down to, too, is actors who truly, uh, you know, live in a role, who get in the role, no matter whether they thought this was going to be an important movie or not, they get in the role and they live in it and he makes it his own. At no time are you sitting there going, oh, he's mailing this in. He's not pulling what we would call a De Niro. You know, Robert De Niro does that a lot nowadays. He's like, I oh, hit things. I hit, hit things. things. That might be the best movie he was in, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. And that was like a decade and a half ago. Um, yeah. but what I'm saying is, he, he you, know, you have actors who just kind of mail it in. I don't think I've ever seen Peter Cushing mail one in, especially not anywhere in a Hammer movie. So, yeah. you know, this is a great one to start with. Obviously, it's the first one that this is, a great introduction. If people have never seen a Hammer movie, this will get you kind of primed for what's going to come. And because uh, it's kind of funny, because it's like it's like the appetizer. Like it doesn't give you everything, but it starts giving you the stuff. You know, yeah,
2: you're like Well, it, there's stuff that it, that they're going to give you that they didn't even know they were going to be given in the future. So yeah. <laughs> With so. Any any other final thoughts? Mine are only I I I the only. You guys laughed at me last time we were talking about it. The only other
0: we're all gonna laugh at you. uh, The the
2: only other, the only Hammer movie I've seen all the way through. I've seen little bits and pieces, like over at my grandfather's house on cable, was uh, Captain Kronos because somebody was like, "You gotta watch Captain Kronos." So like this is this is like the Italian films. This is my entry into this. So I this was a if if this is the taste of things to come and the like. Early prototypical version. I'm really excited, especially since it does get more lurid. I'm excited to watch the progression of of blood and and potential boobs,
1: boobs, Boob.
3: blood and I'm boobs. A... That describes counter Dracula exactly. The whole movie is just a... blood and boobs. I'm more familiar <laughs> with the,
1: the the Hammer
3: films than I am. Our, Gardner's movies. like, I'm going to be back for that one.
2: Send me a few for that. That's one.
3: uh. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean uh, uh, just well pencil up here. Count Dracula on the list, then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I mean, the thing is, this is that you know the the Hammer women. We've we talked about this. Um, uh, you know, uh, Inga, oh crap, Barbara Steele. You know, you guys talked about her. With you did your um, you, didn't you do black, Bava uh, yeah, black, we did Sa- black? We did the Black Black Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She be she was like you know you look at her and she she's this you know has that distinctive look to her and her eyes and stuff. Uh, Ingrid Pitt, um, and you'll he, she's that's a name that'll pop up in Hammer movies. Um, she's very distinctive when you see her It'll uh, pop because, up in a lot of weekenders. say yeah, speaking of popping up, yeah, 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 yeah pop, um, a week you won't, you won't need a weekender with her uh, <laughs> because you, you won't need any help. She helps you along as it goes. Uh, okay. what, what I'm saying is the idea is that like you know when you see the women of of uh, um, I'm thinking of Veronica Carlton. I actually met Veronica Carlton two years ago um and still a beautiful woman i mean she's clearly much older now um but you look at her and you go she you know you, you can still see in this older woman's like wow she probably was a knock if you didn't know who she was you were thinking you go, wow she probably was a knockout when she was younger and then they have pictures of her you're like oh yeah and if you in and again this <laughs> uh, just what it is uh same thing with ingrid pitt you know just beautiful women um who you know did the best they did with their roles i mean Am I kidding? You're in pits buck naked in a lot of these things, so it's hard to <laughs> so be. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. be
0: objective about those movies, yes.
3: Yeah. No. The, the, the,
0: the objectification already happened, so we don't need yes. to be objective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I, I mean, all I mean say is that uh, I, I love being able to revisit this. This is one of my favorites, uh, just one of my favorite monster movies, you know, just classic uh, gothic horror monster movies. And, uh, you know, I mean, this, this may be my favorite telling of the Frankenstein story. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of affection for the James Whale version. I've got a lot of affection for this one. So, but this, this one always just kind of stuck with me. And, and again, being my introduction to it being that Fumetti magazine, it had this kind of like discovering new, like new territory type thing for me. You know, it was, I was reading about the, reading, reading this movie in a magazine before I ever saw it. And you know it was uh it was strange and mysterious and wonderful and it it lived up to all those things when I saw it so this this was all time uh you know if 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 this is ever on a m c it's one of those ones that I'm just gonna stop and watch it you know it's 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 just gonna happen just deal with it you know uh and i had a like i said just had a blast revisiting it for this show definitely
1: yeah i'm uh, I'm familiar with more of the hammer stuff than i am the uh the Italian stuff so it's it's been a while since I've watched this one. Uh, this is my favorite version of the creature by far. Um, not my—I don't know what my favorite telling of this story is, but uh, it's definitely my favorite version of the creature, and and I love how evil Baron Frankenstein is. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I think I I sat down and mainlined all of the uh, the Hammer Frankenstein films in one one lonely day. So, <laughs> but it's been a while. Um, yeah, say, get, that's,
0: get them yeah. in now
2: before you're married. That's a podcast, that's a podcast too. Podcast. The, the Hair Metal Hero, One Lonely Day, and you just document <laughs> things that you did on those one lonely days. Well, most of those
1: wouldn't be fit for broadcast. Exactly. <laughs> but Curse of Frankenstein is.
0: It'd be great. It'd be just uh, and then be. And then I did beep, and then after that,
1: beep. sure, forty five minutes. Yeah. Well, I had the weekender going, so
3: you know I had to do. Holy <laughs> oh, oh, at, at some point, you can go get one of those large cheese calzones, like the, the other day. Oh so, yeah. The artery, <laughs> the artery blocker. Oh, it was good. <laughs> it was really good. We ordered another one last night. <laughs> That's a little inside <laughs> baseball, folks. Sorry. Yeah, heroes,
2: here, heroes arteries just like have. Have subs, you know,
1: passing the, the right mini, through. Him. Mini subs floating you through. You can see him
2: go through his forearms like Popeye every once in a while. <laughs> working <laughs> their way, it's working like their way through voyage. the heart to the heart where they're digested. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
3: like, it's like Fantastic Voyage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we got a blockage here.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, as long as no one drops any instruments in the exam room, you're in good shape. Or a junior. It's very refreshing. <laughs> it's junior
2: it's a mint? oh my god oh and and gardner we got to get you back for one of the tombs
4: of dracula coming up yeah i'd like that i love that series
2: eventually we're do. Uh, eventually we're gonna get to number issue number three
4: eventually. is that where gene colin takes over i think Think um, I think Gene so. Colan's done
2: the last two, I think the last think one he had Vince Coletta inking over him,
4: though. He didn't, I don't think he started on that series, right? I mean, he wasn't there from number one, was he?
0: Uh, I, can look I thought Colan was, I think, I think three is when Archie Goodwin comes in as writer.
4: Well, maybe that's what I'm thinking of.
0: Let me th- I want to say, because I remember, I remember when we did two, we were discussing Archie Goodwin and I remember talking about Jerry Archie Goodman's Conway, run on G. Iron Colin, Man. yeah, Conway and Colin were
4: okay. Yeah, that must yeah. be it. I was thinking that Colin wasn't there from the beginning. That's right. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Marv Wolfman at the beginning. That's what I was thinking of. There's issues.
2: Yeah. There's issues where the, where Colin doesn't do it. You know, he's there. He's not consistently all the way through the beginning of it. There's some issues with other inferior
0: artists. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Scott, obviously we'd love to have you on for, uh, for Tomb of Dracula. But, uh, before we get to that, we will be sticking with the Dracula theme as our next film in the Hammer series. If you haven't guessed from our discussion, uh, on this particular podcast is going to be the debut of Christopher Lee as the Count Dracula in horror of Dracula. So please forward look forward to that. That's, uh, you know, again, if, if you liked this one, you'll be on board for what's going down in the next one.
2: Yeah, and going on simultaneously, so actually the next episode of Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror will continue our coverage of the long-awaited um, Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh,
0: With the, thing, with the oh, gayest... I'm blanking, I'm blanking.
2: As we've said, the gayest Nightmare on Elm Street. And when people say gay is in lame as the insult, no, this is actually the most homosexual...
0: Yeah, it's, yeah Nightmare on Elm
2: Street. I mean, maybe the only homosexual Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> but it's coming up for better or worse. So it's coming up, all right. It's coming up oh, on the Weekender. Coming on? It's coming up on the <laughs> Weekender, boys.
0: <laughs>
2: oh boy! And where can we find Scott? We can find Scott at the same place we are. Yeah, on, on any show.
3: So, so, so Scott's your chance yeah. Where what
2: shows? Over. You're
4: you're on Back to the Bins still regularly, right? Back to the bins. Yep, absolutely. As often as I can be on there, which lately has been pretty much every, every episodes. And
2: that's a yeah, that's can... a weekly show, so there's plenty of opportunity. You got four doses of a month of Scott Gardner.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of Scott. It... I was going to say, if, if, uh, if, if you exceed recommended dosage of Scott Gardner within a certain amount of time, please call, call your, your doctor. If you, if you <laughs> consult your physician, if you've taken a weekender before consulting with Scott Gardner.
2: <laughs> if you suffer any of these syndromes, <laughs> no, no, no. odd-smelling urine, <laughs> sleeplessness, restlessness, restless leg syndrome, restless bowel syndrome, <laughs> scurfitis of the face, <laughs> or
0: death, <laughs> or sudden or- death. I love, I love that. It's like, it's like for restless leg syndrome, they cause sudden death. You know what? I'm good. I yeah. am good. I'll deal good. with that. If
2: I get restless leg syndrome, I'm just going to pursue a second career as a dancer.
0: <laughs> I'd like to see that.
2: Restless legs, <laughs> Honeywell. I was
0: going to say, your stage name's going to be Jimmy Legs, isn't it? So. <laughs> Jimmy Legs. Instead of old Golden Throat, <laughs> or old restless legs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. We got to get the hell out of here.
4: Two True Freaks.
2: Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.